Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music on this Friday Eve. <laughs> the last uh, day of the month of November. We've been counting it down. We are here and we will move right into the final month of the year 2023. Hard to believe that's where we are. Unbelievable. Last trading day of November, the Dow is surging up presently 318 points. The NASDAQ up a bit, not quite. It's actually turned negative now. It's down 70 points. So, it, that all happened within a few minutes. Uh, the 30-year bonds, 10-year uh, bonds, they're going in opposite directions. The funny money down 236 bucks today. That is uh, Ethereum, actually. Well, I came across a very interesting bit of fodder trivia, if you will, a couple of days ago. Piggly Wiggly. Piggly Wiggly was founded in Memphis, Tennessee, 1916. And I'm looking at a grand opening, a photo of the grand opening of the Piggly Wiggly in Encino, California in 1962. And it shows all the cashiers dressed in little... um, uh, sort of uh, attendant-type dresses, black with white aprons tied around their waists. And they're standing in front of the the little checkout areas, the cashier checkout lanes there, with a big old iron <laughs> cash registers <laughs> behind them. When you had to punch the buttons, it was quite slow. Mechanical but, calculation. Right, Exactly. And subject to error, by the way, I remember going to the store with my father, who would always watch every punch, because it was manual, and it wasn't malicious or nefarious. It's just possible you could hit the wrong button. And uh, you sort of needed to just check that out, make sure they got it right. Well, this is what I found, it's where I'm going, what I found completely fascinating. At the time... 
Piggly Wiggly was founded in 1916, grocery stores did not permit customers to gather their own goods. Didn't know that. That Yeah, it was very much still the, the general store model where you go to the counter with your list. That's right. They go around and if it's not on display, it's in the back, they collect it, bring it to you, you pay for it and go. Absolutely right. You'd give a list of your selections to a clerk who would gather up the product. Uh, they would traverse the store on your behalf, bring it back, and and then you check out. Well, it was Piggly Wiggly that was first to introduce the concept, the innovative concept of allowing customers to meander throughout the store and do their own selecting. How about that? And they said, wow, this actually cuts costs in doing so. Sort of self-serve model. You know, you think about how packed grocery stores are today with so many different products. Remember Bernie Sanders said, why do we need so many different brands of soap or something like that? <laughs> Thank you, comrade. <laughs> exactly. Your opinion is noted. <laughs> uh, but you know, you, you almost couldn't think of everything you want. I bet almost all of us, when we go to the grocery store from time to time, buy something we didn't even know existed, only because we we noticed it walking through the aisles. I mean, it's incredible. And it I, I think it's a testament to, uh, you wait, wait for it, American capitalism. <laughs> and the desire for convenience. Yeah, exactly. That's what drives over half of all of this. No doubt. And the market speaks. And sellers react. Just like Piggly Wiggly did here. Wow, I, seems like these, these buyers could probably do this on their own. We could cut costs and they'd probably enjoy it. Be more efficient. I'll tack on a little bit of trivia to this. Okay. So it was 1916, Piggly Wiggly comes around, and they they decide, you know what, we're not going to do all this for you. You can wander about and find your own stuff. Yeah. Do you know when the shopping cart, the buggy, came to be? Oh, I don't. It's pretty... It wasn't for another 20 years. So what did you have? It like... was in the 30s, and funny enough, it was another catchy name of a grocery store, except it was an Oklahoma-based chain called Humpty Dumpty. Yeah. Exactly. I Humpty Dumpty in 36 or 37 Isn't that introduced incredible? the shopping cart. The shopping cart. So before then, I guess you just had kind of the baskets. Oh, like yeah. Wizard of Oz type. <laughs> or whatever <laughs> bag you brought with you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, man, you'd almost have to have help carrying the other bags because those wouldn't carry a lot. It'd get heavy, too. So the cart was uh, quite valuable once introduced. I just find that interesting when you take sort of a walk down memory lane there and, and progress forward, and it, I, I think it reflects just the, uh, the, the innovative nature of the private sector responding to the market. I know one thing that ain't going well is electric vehicles. Some 1,100 dealers. Except the Cybertruck. That's a little... Uh, that seems to be a, a hot ticket item. Yeah, uh, more of a utility uh, rather than a consumer vehicle, of course. That seems to be going well, and, and we are seeing advances in autonomous vehicles, more so in commercial vehicles, 
such as the big trucks, than we are at the uh, consumer vehicle type level. But I think it was 1,100, if I'm not mistaken, retailers who wrote the Biden administration saying, uh, we can't sell these things. This is too much too fast. The market is not responding to your wish, which is to force this crap on everybody. 3,000 now auto dealers. It started out at 1,100. I'm looking at the latest. It's now up to 3,000. 3,000 dealers, they signed a letter opposing Biden's EV mandate. They're asking him to tap the brakes. That's a quote. Tap the brakes here on their rather aggressive push of EVs on, onto the market. Dealers located in all 50 states, including the blue states, sign on to this thing. And they're saying that we just can't get this done. And this is just another situation where government is intruding in an arena where it should not. And it's causing great pain for the industry. Basically saying that demand is not keeping up with the number of EVs that are arriving at our dealership. They're stacking up on the lots, they say. BEVs are stacking up on the lots. That, I mean, that's actually in the letter. Battery electric vehicle, by the way, is what the BEV stands for. There was so much hope, the letter continued to say, last year and a lot of hype. But the reality is, it's just not they're not moving out the door, off the lot, and that's a problem. Inventory and the maintenance of that inventory and the long sales cycle and the carrying cost of the product is a problem. And they just don't seem to get it. I mean, he was in Colorado kind of doubling down on the whole Green New Deal push. Talking about some wind farm in the area that he was all proud of. Did you happen to catch the interaction he had there? I think it was a reporter, a couple of reporters maybe, when he was um, uh, in Colorado, talking about, I'm trying to get this right, uh, that he had the nuclear codes on the Marine, he could blow the world up, something. I think he was talking to workers. <laughs> Is that who it was? Okay. Yeah, he was like, my Marine's got the, the button that can end the world. Talking about Marine One, right? Um, uh, or is he talking about He's a talking Mar- about the nuclear football. That's what I thought. But being uh, stored, housed on the helicopter? Or is he talking about... It might have just been a Marine okay. detail I wasn't was the sure. one carrying it. I wasn't sure how that, how that uh, procedure works, what the policy is, the protocol on that. So I wasn't sure if he was talking. Of course, how do you figure out what the hell the guy's talking about? <laughs> Bottom line is, was that just a weird comment or what? I thought it was. It came across like a, a grandpa going, look, here's a quarter from the year I was born. <laughs> Pay attention to me. Except we're talking about something so powerful it could literally blow up the world. I'm a little concerned that it's in his possession, that he has access to it. And I know there are lots of controls around that, but nonetheless... He's kind of the main guy in that process. We're coming back with more in the Element Well studio. Jim Leggett at 12.05. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. 
I can think about is the Karate Kid, of course, whenever I hear that. <laughs> oh, man. So, Biden, we were talking about him joking about the nuclear football. So bizarre. He, he really kind of boasted about it. He said, now look, my Marine carries that, but it has the code to blow up the world. What kind of statement is that? That's nothing to brag about, and it's not even a statement that should ever be uttered by a president. That's crazy. Not like people don't know that in general, but the fact that he's so callous about it, I, causes concern, in my view. Or is it just the prototypical Democrat mindset of everybody beneath me is stupid? Well, that could be. So I must explain everything and do everything for them. Uh, it could be. But you're right. I'm looking at the video. It was three workers because they've got their, their safety vest, their, their yellow safety vest on, and he's clearly walking through the plant, shaking hands with a couple of them, and I'm sure that made their day. Uh, but it's just, oh, that's what it, the context was when he's looking at some of the, uh, the, the, um, the production in the products being produced. He said, this is not nuclear weapons, is it? What kind of statement is that? <laughs> and it was, um, this was a wind facility. So he's looking at, you know, the giant metal, iron, steel components of these wind turbines being manufactured in this facility. Because remember, this was a, a climate-themed trip. This is not nuclear weapons, is it? You know, I, wouldn't that make a worker a bit uncomfortable just saying something like that? Or does he not think about that when the president says something to he doesn't know where he is. Oh, my gosh. And then he went on. It's been evident time and time and time again. It's sad. He's a lost ball in tall grass. And by the way, this is a Korean facility, this factory that he was touring that makes wind turbines. He said <laughs> to the corporate leaders, I'm friends with your leader, Mr. Moon, you know. What? What is that? Oh, my gosh. And that was, of course, South Korean President Moon Jae-in, who, who I think exited office a couple of years ago. But that's <laughs> – and it is true, by the way. You're right. I'm looking at further discussion about this incident, and there is a photo of a Marine who's carrying the football. It's too big, looks like custom – custom-made briefcase, leather-type briefcases that has all the technology and the apparatus and the controls inside it. And you know what I'm wondering here, Rhino? I'm looking at it, and it's got three different flaps that sort of cover up the case, the top of the case. Think about a briefcase that's covered up by – it's open on the in the middle, but then – the one side extends over the other to cover it up. Three flaps, each with locks. It looks like locks that 
have keys, as best I can tell. It could be combinations. I can't tell. It's a small photo. But I just wonder if it requires... I imagine it would be keys. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that's right, because you could easily misplace the keys but I, and, and land into the wrong hands. But I'm wondering if it requires all three. Three different individuals, I guess is what I'm saying, or multiple, as it probably should. I don't know the protocol. I'm just talking out loud here, I, and I'm, it's just an observation. But this is a, a, described as a military aid, but looking at the uniform, looks like it is a, a Marine uniform. You can only see, like, the bottom part. And well, if I'm not mistaken, there are active duty military members from all branches that are considered "quote unquote" military aid for the president. Sure, and, but I just I mean, wonder that includes the the guard at the door for the White House, sure. the guard at the at the landing pad for Marine One, or at the airport for or Air Force One. But I, I uh, apparently, and again, I'm not familiar with the protocol that um, a, a select few, I'm sure. I mean, if it's really as secure as we we would like to think it is, protocol probably changes pretty often. And that's exactly right. It should. No different than changing your plain old passwords um, on some regular interval. I I would agree. Uh, And so that things aren't easily passed on at the current state, which could be a problem. I mean, the in-game protocol has probably been the same since day one, but everything in between the... The need for it and the order is probably different than we even know. I totally agree, and, and that's, in my view, the way it should be, and, and which is why I think it's just inappropriate for a president to so casually talk about this and joke about it. it I don't it's care. like you've seen cutouts of the Beast, the big armored vehicle limousine that they, they drive the president in. you got these cutouts where it shows all these little details, and it's like, that's probably four or five iterations ago. Yeah. I, I would agree. That's probably right. Nonetheless, I thought that was kind of bizarre. I mean, and, the machine that the U.S. Army or the U.S. military was using for coding for 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 cryptography—is that the correct term yeah. for encoding something? Cryptography. Yeah. yeah. The machine that the U.S. was using and the Allies were using in World War II—that was comparable or opposed to the Enigma machine, the infamous Enigma, they were still using it, and it wasn't declassified until the mid-'90s. Yeah. Because the Enigma was using something like five or six tumblers, and and that was using 15. Yeah. It was just incredibly complicated. And advances in technology enable additional sophistication, and, and it and should, because bad guys get more sophisticated so that they could crack it. And that's always been a concern is quantum computing poses that risk that all the cybersecurity protections we have on on throughout all aspects of society. Someone takes me the word encryption. I don't think encryption pertains to using that machine. I think that's cryptography. Right. I believe that's right. Isn't encryption only digital? As far as I know. Or is it an umbrella term? I've never heard of it being referred to anything but the digital realm, but it certainly could be. Well, I thought it was weird that the president... By definition, I guess it works. Encryption is used to protect data from being stolen, changed, or compromised. Okay. That could be analog. I guess it could be. doesn't have to be digital. It, it could be uh, 
Yeah, so if you think about just how something is, is written on a document, there could be some encryption. You could encrypt that, which would be similar to the way you would encrypt digital data. It could be encrypted so that it's not understandable without having the keys to decrypt it. Same as would be in the digital sense. Yeah, okay, makes sense. I, anyhow, it's weird to me that the guy runs around and talks about the nuclear football. Yeah, my Marine over here, we could blow up the world. Oh, okay, great. Man, what a goofball. Kevin in Monticello says, talking about this uh, backlash from the auto industry on EVs, most people don't understand that dealerships pay for floor interest on that inventory sitting there that gets pushed onto all buyers. That's right, Kevin. And so um, just a high-level description of that. Typically, as a franchise dealership of an automaker, you're required to buy a certain level of inventory from the manufacturer, place it on your showroom floor, on your dealership parking lot. I, I don't know how any of that perhaps has been modified with COVID and stuff. Um, but nonetheless, in general, uh, they're going to ship it to you, and you're going to take it, and they're going to bill you for it. And they do. They have this finance arrangement that's been around for decades called flooring, and it simply means that you pay interest, the dealership pays interest um, on the amount, some, some uh, established interest rate some, that are in the terms of your franchise agreement on that product until it is sold on those vehicles. Once it is sold, you have a certain amount of time then to pay the manufacturer for it. Uh, the principal, the cost to the incoming cost to the dealer. Uh, but in the meantime, as Kevin points out, you're paying interest. So while the longer it sits on the lot, that's the bottom line, is the higher is the carrying cost because you're bearing the, bearing the interest cost while it's on your lot, and then you pay for it when it's sold. All part of that transaction. That's called flooring. Coming right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk, Mississippi. We're back with you in the Element Well studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. Also, uh, while we're talking about cryptography, and data security, and as we have uh, now determined that encryption can apply to either digital data, that which is stored in digital format, or analog data, or uh, even just printed, uh, manually created 
data, if you will. So a book code is technically encryption. Yeah, exactly. Uh, could apply. And, uh, and I'm not really versing on this, but I'm quite sure that there, uh, in the days that uh, uh, predate digital systems and, the, and using digital systems as the primary approach to communications and storing data, that there were encryption schemes to secure printed data, data in documents, data in books, etc. I'm not, again, I've not really researched that or studied it, but it kind of makes sense. You know, in the, e- even in radio communications, oral, verbal communications, I can see that necessitating some form of encrypt, decrypt on both sides. I mean, that was the necessity of the Navajo Code Talkers. Good point. Yeah, that's a great example. Because their indigenous language was so complex and complicated and had very little external resources available for the Axis powers to learn it, it was used as oral encryption. Yeah, makes total sense. So, just an interesting little subject matter there. Uh, speaking of... <laughs> speaking I mean, hiding of, information is an old idea. That's very true. I mean, Leonardo da Vinci is infamous now for having written all of his notebooks mirrored. Hmm. So the, the script is written, but you have to read it in a mirror. Okay. And that was so you couldn't just open it up and, and steal his ideas. Very cool. Arguably the world's greatest inventor. Some of the tinfoil hat people think he was a time traveler. Wow. I didn't know Because he was so ahead of his time. There's no doubt about it. He, he was. And he, um, he faced some scrutiny for his ideas. I think that's fair to say. You know, speaking of uh, Native Americans... What about our little friend we talked about yesterday, the eight-year-old Kansas City Chiefs fan who was just having fun at a football game, dressing up as a uh, an ardent fan, and if I'm not mistaken, had the shirt on, the jersey on of his favorite player, I, I'm hearing now. But nonetheless, you know the story, headdress, traditional uh, headdress worn by chiefs of Indian tribes, painted his face up, half black, half red. Those happen to be the colors of the Kansas City Chiefs. It turns out that the youngster is himself of Native American blood, and in fact, his elders, his ancestors, were pretty high up. What's the name of the tribe? Shatush or something like that. Um and, and so we've learned that. You know the story? This goofy reporter of Deadspin goes out and honestly assails the youngster, labeling him a racist, and then doubling down on it. Have you seen that? What a whiny baby. Let me see if I can find his quote. I was really shocked, I guess I shouldn't be, by this fool's quote. Uh, but he came out and said something 
that I thought was totally just inappropriate and doubling down. Yeah, he says, for the idiots in my mentions, this is on Twitter, who are treating this as some harmless act because the other side of his face was painted red, I could make the argument that it makes it even worse. Y'all are the ones who hate Mexicans, but wear sombreros on Cinco. Who said anybody hates Mexicans? What's wrong with wearing sombreros on Cinco de Mayo? Celebrating <laughs> with alongside the Mexicans. Unbelievable. Going after liberal white elites are against it. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. Unbelievable. I've never met a Mexican person that was offended if I were wearing a poncho or a sombrero or a big bushy mustache. I can't imagine that'd be the case either. I, I just don't Because I they don't recognize get it. it as celebrating their culture. That's what I thought. Well, you know what this is? This is a shortage of actual racism. <laughs> That's what's driving this. There's not enough of it. Supply so can't meet the demand. Right. So let's go fabricate it. Oh, here we go. Here's one we can we can completely hijack. That's why 99 times out of 100, if you see a headline of somebody's got spray paint out and spray painted racist <laughs> screed on the side of such and such building, 99 times out of 100, that story disappears because when they dig into it, it was a fabrication Total. by some loony leftist that couldn't get out of their feelings <laughs> long enough to realize they were projecting their own prejudice on the world. <laughs> this is uh, it, it is the truth, though. You can't find enough real, actual, legitimate examples of blatant racism. So let's just go make something up and then use an eight-year-old, an eight-year-old, to fit your narrative. To advance your twisted agenda. That's just unbelievable. It's, it's to crazy me. to me because the same people that cry about your banning books apparently never read Chicken Little or The Boy That Cried Wolf. That's so true. Because that's exactly what Or if what they this did, is. they definitely didn't learn the lessons being taught in those stories. Oh, gee. So now there are reports, this is kind of cool, that fans, adult fans, are scheduled to attend this weekend's Chiefs game, and they're going to fall in line with the young man, and they're going to come Imagine out. face paint. How about that? This is awesome. Is this goofy writer, what's his name, Karen something or another, is he going to go write another article and just blast all 70,000? Because I guarantee you a bunch of them are, are going to participate. Just because you're having fun at a football game. You know they hate fun. We've, uh, we've made that clear. But this is truth. It, there's a shortage of actual racism. We should also make note of the Anti-Defamation League's definition, actual definition of racism. I don't know it's if you guys... a whole gaggle of stupid people <laughs> under one roof. I don't know if you guys have ever... Beware of numbers, they're racist! <laughs> But they, they say, and I'm reading the definition, by the way. This is from their website. Racism. Racism, colon, the marginalization and or oppression of people of color based on a socially constructed racial hierarchy that privileges white people. So, in other words, there can't be racism against anybody or, or can't be engaged in racism except white people, and it can't be against anybody except people of color. 
So this Karen fool that writes this article, to me, just reeks of being a racist, an aggrieved racist to boot. But according to the Anti-Defamation League, racism only occurs when it's white people against people of color. They're, it's not An possible. overly complicated definition is not a good definition. That is true. That, that's what that is. An but, easier definition of racism would be prejudice against someone based on skin color. <laughs> totally true. And only that. Agree. On the ceasefire text line, Rick in Gulfport says, Despite Biden's age and faltering cognition, he's an experienced politician and knows his support is waning even as his minders tell him otherwise. These strange comments of his seem like bravado from an old horse stumbling, stumbling into the glue factory. It's hard to tell. I mean, the guy's so unpredictable. I hear you, Rick. But he truly is unpredictable. You just you can't tell. Uh, let's see here. Man, more crazy news out of the Rankin County Sheriff's Department, says Ben from Madison. Why in the world hasn't the sheriff resigned? Taxpayers in Rankin about to see that millage rate increase. Yeah, there was uh, quite the expose uh, written this morning in one of the local publications or statewide publications. Kind of interesting. Let's see. Sharon and Brandon says... Stephen Curtis Chapman, live out loud. He will be at the that's the all hit request line request there. City Hall live tonight in Brandon. He's one of my favorites. Appreciate that, Sharon. Billy Idol bumping us out of this segment here on Middays. Once again, Jim Leggett, lecturer of economics at Mississippi State, will come on at 12.05 and talk about the economy. We're coming right back. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk Mississippi. Imagine this. I get a phone call from Regis. He says, do you want to be a millionaire? They put me on the show and I win with two lifelines to spare. Picture this. I act like nothing ever happened. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We're in the Element Well studio. Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with Mississippi's First Lady, Ely Reeves. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or restaurant and go to superiorcatfish.com. On the ceasefire text line, my uncle worked on the mechanical registers made by the National Cash Register Corporation from Dayton, Ohio. That's Mike and McCall, by the way. Dayton, Ohio is where NCR was located. I had two folks on my staff that uh, worked previously for NCR. I'm not sure if you're aware, Rhino, but they had their office in Mississippi was in a building that I don't think is there anymore. Uh, that was on the frontage road right behind us in front of the 
car dealership. That's where hmm. that's where NCR was. Had the big NCR logo uh, on the building there, and that's where they were located. The IBM folks in the IBM building that would be to our north here at one time when it was built back in the late 80s had the big IBM nine-bar logo, as they call it, atop it. And, it, and when it was uh, really going at full speed, had about 250 IBMers in that building, believe it or not. Uh, IBM used to refer to National Cash Register, NCR, as National Crash Register. Because <laughs> they competed with them in the point when they got into the point of sale business, of course. National Crash Register. <laughs> That's pretty cool, though, Mike. Thank you for sharing that. Curtis and Biloxi, we were talking about 3,000 dealers across these United States who have signed a letter which has been submitted to the Biden administration asking them to back off these EV, very aggressive EV mandates that their inventory is piling up on the lots. They can't sell it. Curtis says local dealer on the coast had a major EV charger project they canceled due to lack of demand after we completed the design phase of the project. And you know something, Rhino, that figures into this is that as the price of gas goes down, which it has been, it's been trending downward, it's up a little bit here in the last week, but as it goes down, it makes EVs even less attractive. I mean, one of the things that would perhaps compel someone to buy one is super high price of gas. But when that comes down, that sort of moves to the back burner, that idea. It's crazy. Yeah, in his garage on the ceasefire text line, talking about the nuclear football, that's scary. Mike in Gulfport says, with Biden having any access to the nuclear, in all caps, anything, I'm more than concerned, but he probably can't remember the codes anyway. Biden was bragging about investing another $200 million in this project, talking about this um, plant in Colorado that is producing uh, outdoor windmills. He says he was bragging about investing another $200 million in the project, and it's a Korean company making them. That's absolutely true. It is, it is maddening. I agree on the ceasefire tax line. That's all from the so-called Inflation Reduction Act that, in, that included these sorts of subsidies and grant programs for those who are in the, the green energy industry, such as outdoor windmills for the generation of electricity. Joe played in the NFL, the Nuclear Football League, says Randy and Starkville. Why does always, Joe always end everything he says with, I'm not joking, I don't know. That's just kind of stuck in his his language and his communications. He does say that regularly. I mean, if you give him the benefit of the doubt, it's a way to endear himself to you. If you think he's evil yeah. incarnate, then it's the proof that he's a pathological liar. Yeah. Um, sometimes he says, Somewhere in the middle, it's going to be, it's a verbal crutch because his mind is going. I agree. 
In my time in the military, it was keys. This is on the ceasefire text line. Specialty keys. Combos can be shared. Keys must be used in sync in person. That That is uh, correct. That is a very common scheme where multiple parties have to be entering data or providing uh, their part of the full decryption key. The full authorization process requires that. Uh, yeah, I've seen such schemes as well. Appreciate you sending that in. Despite Biden's age and faltering cognition, okay, we got that one already. My bad, Rick and Gulfport. James in Oxford says, I would consider a hybrid, half gas, half electric. I think a lot of people would, James. I agree. Frank and Grenada, teletype machine security. Yeah, why have the green folks given up on hybrids? I wonder. Uh, yeah, I do too. Well, it's time for a break here on Midday. It's the top of the hour. That means Fox News, Super Talk News. We're coming right back with another hour, and then Jim Leggett. He's a lecturer of economics at Mississippi State. He's coming on at 12.05. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone. It's hour two of middays. We are live in the Element Well studio on this Friday Eve. That, of course, is only the young by journey, as it always is, bumping us into the hour. That from uh, the really weird movie Vision Quest. Still can't figure out what the movie's all about. Wrestling. Uh, I know, but it's like, what's the <laughs> plot here? Wow. We appreciate you joining us today. Uh, on the ceasefire text line, when Biden says, I'm not joking, or here's the deal, he's trying to convince himself. <laughs> That's probably true. That's, uh, I think, an accurate analysis. My company bought me a 2024 Honda CRV hybrid. This from Jimbo and Gluckstadt on the ceasefire text line. Works very well in the city, and I get over 30 miles per gallon on the highway. Cool. Yeah, that seems like that. Um, but it, it does seem like those have kind of fallen out of favor somewhat. Hybrids we're talking about. It's because the liberals and leftists and Democrats and greenies don't really care about the environment. They care about power. I think that's if totally true. If they really true. cared about the environment, they would do two things. They would be touting their successes, such as, have you heard about acid rain in the last 30 years? Oh, okay, we did away with that. We did a good thing. And two, they would understand that you have to sometimes compromise and meet people in the middle or meet them where they are, and a hybrid is a lot easier pill to swallow than a full electric vehicle. Completely agree. But that's just not aligned but with it their... uses that evil oil. <laughs> we may have to dig up that, that video again of uh, Jennifer Granholm. <laughs> Gasoline. <laughs> that... It's so bizarre. It really is. Oh, uh, well, I think you're right. And, and and to your point, it's John Kerry running around 
in a jet, jetting around the planet, honestly. And more recently, it's Kamala on Thanksgiving (laughs) posting a picture on social media with her and her husband in what is apparently their kitchen, and clearly visible in the photo is a gas stove, which I thought was like the devil. (laughs) It's Greta Thunberg being arrested at a rally to stop the construction of windmills because it might upset the reindeer. (laughs) Gosh, dog. Unbelievable. Uh, By the way, you've seen that the, the U.N., they don't want us to eat meat anymore. Good grief. They are, um, I think they're working on... You will eat the bugs. <laughs> That's exactly what they want, is eating bugs. You they want nothing, <laughs> and you will eat all the bugs. <laughs> eat all the bugs. <laughs> okay, Schultz, <laughs> where's the beef? UN is calling on us Americans to cut down on meat consumption. (laughs) Unbelievable, man. You know what they never call on, though? China to stop building coal plants, (laughs) which produces orders of magnitude more CO2 than eating meat does. It's unbelievable. Oh, we can't say anything. Everything is always directed at this country. Because of our wealth. Well, they've tried for the longest to make you feel sorry for the cows. (laughs) And then when they realized that wasn't going to work, well, feel sorry for the planet. Unbelievable. And that's not going to work. So what's next? Well, the chair of the FAIRR initiative, I'm not exactly sure what all that stands for. I have to look it up. Is uh, I know there's the UN has a food and agriculture organization, the FAO, <laughs> but this uh, this group, the F A I R R, and it and it's basically a group of investors who are working with financial institutions to promote climate friendly agriculture. They say that the failure of leading meat and dairy companies to reduce emissions underlines the urgent need for more policy focus on the food and agriculture sector, as if they ain't got enough problems. Oh, yeah, let's just go foist this on them while we're at it. Food system emissions deserve a place at the top of the table alongside energy and transport as they represent an estimated third of greenhouse gas emissions and 40% of methane. But the solution, even if that is a problem, their solution is always, you just got to do without. They never think about, hey, well, maybe we ought to be promoting and appealing to the greatest minds on the planet. To address this issue without having to give up anything. In fact, probably make it better. They ne- that never crosses their mind. You know why? Because whoever those people are will get rich doing it. They can't have that. Oh, you solved the problem and you sold a bunch of it and people got rich? Oh, can't do that. They never think about how throughout human history it's human innovation which solves our planet's most critical, dicey 
challenging problems, and yeah, people make money off of it. It's a pretty good deal. It's because fundamentally they don't understand scale. Their little utopian hippie commune ideology can work in a small secluded area with a tiny population. True. It is not feasible at scale. True. But were it not for human innovation and the scale that you describe, we'd be dead. We right? We couldn't if we didn't continue to advance just in agriculture. Just advance yields, efficiencies, production, etc. throughout the entire supply chain. We wouldn't have anything to eat. And that's because of human innovation. And here's what's neat about it. We got far less people in our American, in the American economy, involved in the agriculture industry than we did less than 100 years ago when the population of this country was about half of what it is today. And back then, we had, we had more people involved in the industry and had a hard time meeting the need for food. Today, we got far fewer people in the industry, and we produce more than we can consume in this country. We feed the world. Gee, imagine that. And that is a result of unbelievable innovation and improvements and efficiencies achieved with, with all of this technology. And, and the technology begets more technology. Gosh, when, when we've done remotes. Uh, for our friends at AgUp, and you see these incredibly sophisticated farm machinery. It's unbelievable. And how much more effective and efficient that, is, that has made American farmers, global farmers, honestly. Heck, John Deere that makes a lot of that stuff, that's who AgUp, of course, represents. They're, they're in reality, an IT company that happens to make farm equipment. That's really what they are. Just unbelievable. And, and why don't we ever celebrate that and recognize that? Yeah, people got some nice incomes off of that. They, they produced some wealth from that. But that never gets discussed. Never, we never talk about inspiring our greatest minds, our, our, our young folks. You're, you could be the next inventor, innovator. And the fact is, there are more ways, more tools available to innovate, to fuel such innovations, and then more routes to market because of technology than ever before. And almost all of it was produced and invented and conceived of in this country. And we have people in government on the left who essentially want to tear all that down. It's, it's as if they don't get it, and I guess they don't, is the reality of it. They just want to tear it down. Unbelievable. Uh, a bit disheartening. And this is why we got to get the message out to our best and our brightest and all of our young people to, to really understand and appreciate the power and the value of that, uh, that system. Well, that's why the leftist ideals appeal to younger voters is because it's a symptom of youth to be naive. Mm, and true. Democrats' ideology is the most naive political ideology there is. 
Uh, that's true. And what bothers me is that Democrats know that about our youth, that aspect, and they abuse it. They abuse it. Uh, they just they, they brainwash, they indoctrinate, they just fill them up with all these twisted ideas for their own personal gain and edification. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming right back once again in the Element Well studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. That is the Brothers Johnson. Strawberry Letter 23. That's from the all-hit request line. We appreciate that, Rhino. Just kind of in the mood for that. Little smooth Brothers Johnson. I'd have to do a deep dive to figure out exactly when the woodblock fell out of style for percussionists. <laughs> That's true. Very popular for a certain period of time. Yeah. And that, I believe, is from the late 70s, that tune. I hadn't thought about that. That's a good point. Uh, but that's, uh, it's pretty prominent in, in that song, is it not? Oh, let's see here. What else we got on the C Spire text line today? That's 601-879-4395. Wouldn't cut, cutting back on meat consumption increase methane gas emissions, says Wiley from Tupelo? Well, the theory is... We wouldn't continue to produce as much cattle, and it's the cattle, right, that produce the methane. And, of course, fertilizer, I believe, to produce the, um, the food that the cattle eat is all figured into that equation. That's the theory, at least. James in Oxford says, here's some wind turbines in Tunica County. About 50 of them. I, I've seen that um, from some others as well. Appreciate that, James. I wonder how that's working out. What do you think about Mark Cuban, says Bowen Indianola. I think he's a young Bernie Sanders, but I hear on sports show he's trying to build casino resorts in Dallas. Not a White House run. I don't think he's going to run. He's he's kind of very tacitly, tacitly hinted at it. Ultimately, I don't think he will. Um, my guess is he's done some polling. He's certainly got the money to do so and seen that it would be a tough road for him. I think he's um, a prolific business person. I, I may have shared this before. I, I had the opportunity to sit with him for a week in a class over in Atlanta 
He was uh, he was in the same business I was. He started about three years before I did. We were IBM PC dealers in the very early days of the of the IBM personal computer, which was quite transformational. And he was a dealer in the DFW area. He sold that company. I think I saw for six million bucks four or five years after that. And by the way, that was 1985 when I was in school with him over there. And he then, of course, went on to invent Broadcast.com, sold that for a few billion back in the mid to late 90s. I don't remember the exact time frame, but that's essentially how he achieved his wealth. He invented, uh, he and some others invented the technology that enables transmission of radio broadcast across the Internet. And uh, he went on, of course, to acquire the Dallas Mavericks. And now he's looking to sell a chunk of the Mavericks. You've probably seen the big news about that. I don't know about the casinos. I hadn't seen that. I don't know. He looks to make a tidy profit on the sale of his majority stake in the Mavericks. Yeah, what'd he pay? Like $250 million or something? $285 million in okay. the year 2000. Okay, and so what's he selling his... Uh, his stock now does he is he the sole owner? No, he's a majority stakeholder. Okay, so is he looking to sell all of his interest? I or? believe so. He's he's selling his majority stake for a reported deal around three and a half billion. Oh, nice little ROI. Uh, sounds to me like doing a quick math there about twelve x on that over twenty three years. So that's pretty good. But that is delayed gratification because it took him twenty three years to get that. That's true. Of course, he probably so could have sold it. does that mean that profit is dirty? Profit? Of course it is. Yeah. Delayed it. Right, exactly. So he's got to give it away, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, he, he's a very, very smart guy. I can tell you that, Bo, just sitting in a classroom with him when I was in my 20s 40 years ago. Uh, he's, he's brilliant. There's no doubt. And his, his brilliance paid off. Uh, he does have some... I don't know if I'd call him radical ideas, but he's certainly got some out-of-the-box thinking. He's he's attempted to uh, introduce kind of a, a new business model into the pharmaceutical industry. You may have seen that. Um, he 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 believes that the supply chain and the, and the pharmaceutical industry in general is too cl- uh, closely held and results in inflated prices. Just because of the lack of of a com- totally competitive landscape, there's some truth to that. I submit that's because of government. I think government is is the reason we have had lots of consolidation in the healthcare industry, and uh, and thus that has resulted in higher costs. But um, I don't see him running for the White House. I really don't at this point. I just don't. While we're talking about Healthcare. You have, may have seen that Donald Trump has declared that he wants to take another shot, should he get elected, at repealing the Affordable Care Act. Now, I wanted to point something out that I think is is widely misunderstood, and that is that it was uh, Senator Jonathan or John, pardon me, McCain, vote 
that caused the uh, Report, Affordable Care Act to not be repealed, and, and this was not actually true. There had been attempts to, to fully repeal the act in 15 and maybe one more 2015, and, and, those, and that was, of course, when uh, Obama was president, and, and those weren't going anywhere. What this bill in 2017, the American Health Care Act of 2017, which was uh, passed the House and then did not pass the Senate, it would not have fully repealed. It would have partially repealed, repealed certain provisions, and it, it was described as skinny repeal, if you will. It would have repealed the individual mandate and the employer mandate. It would have cut Medicaid spending and eligibility. It would have eliminated the credits for health care costs and eliminated some of the taxes on high earners. There was additional taxes in the original law. But it would have kept in place the essential health benefits and the pre-existing conditions feature. But it would not have eliminated the additional coverage group, which is known as Medicaid expansion, would not have eliminated that. The individual mandate was subsequently repealed under Trump. He did that. The employer mandate, I don't know that that really was uh, that much of a factor, honestly, because the vast majority of employers that were upon passage of the Affordable Care Act required to offer affordable coverage already were. In fact, they exceeded it. it. It's just become so embedded in compensation models in this country that that really was not that big a deal, that, that feature. The individual mandate was, but then that was subsequently... Uh, repealed, and so it's not a requirement that you carry insurance. The original idea was you have to, and if you don't, you pay penalties, essentially, financial penalties. That would be part of your tax return. So the skinny repeal also would, uh, which is this bill that didn't pass in 17, the big thing, honestly, was the ability to sell scaled-down coverage which would have been a much lower cost. So for people who don't feel like, young, healthy, for example, don't feel like they need the sweeping, comprehensive coverage that the Affordable Care Act requires all policies to include, you could buy insurance that was um, uh, much less comprehensive, that offered less coverage. It's a little higher risk for you, but, you know, it's not a huge risk when you're a young, healthy person. Would have done that, and it would have removed this this bill, the federal cap, the medical loss ratio we've talked about that requires insurers to pay 80% of their premium revenue out in claims, and if they don't, they have to send rebate checks out to their subscribers. It would have reduced the income ceiling used for Medicaid eligibility, so it just would have lowered that from 133% to 100%. That's for the new coverage group. Uh, the Medicaid expansion coverage group. A little bit more about this and what this means politically on the other side of the break here on Middays in the Element Well Studio. 
attention, adoring fans. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. In their 80s now, the Rolling Stones. That's the great Mick Jagger there on the vocals. You know, every time he sung it, he would always hold his hand with his thumb out under my <laughs> little uh, little gesture, little prop. On the ceasefire text line, Paula Meridian, do you think the employer mandates are kind of responsible for killing the 40-hour work week for some employees so that they're not considered full-time. I don't, Paul. Uh, I tell you why. The labor market has, has been perennially tight, and it's been more and more competitive <clears throat> to uh, recruit, hire, maintain employees, and the cost of health care, which has risen and, and consumed more of household income through the years, is a big factor in recruiting. I can't tell you the number of people that, uh, just in my personal career, when you're recruiting staff, and it's highly competitive, as you guys know, certainly in the IT world. I mean, it isn't everyone now, but it has been in that world forever, where demand has grossly exceeded supply. And that was always a big issue. That was, that was a big negotiating aspect. No doubt, and and decision makers. So you had to be you had to be um, competitive at a minimum in the benefits arena, and that primarily involved uh, options for health care group coverage. But I I think that Republicans are a little bent out of step. I'm hearing Republicans are a little some high level leaders bent out of shape about Mr. Trump saying we're going to repeal it and have it's terrible health care and we're going to have better. Well, what does that mean exactly? Um, he needs to be a little bit more specific because <laughs> it's really the insurance that he should be referring to, and I know that's what he he's he's essentially citing, but. When he talks about Obamacare, <clears throat> is he talking about, I believe he is, in fact, the coverage sold in the exchanges. And that is different than the coverage that you obtain from your employer, which, by the way, accounts for about 85% of the private commercial coverage written in this country. A small percentage obtain their coverage from the individual market, and then a percentage of them obtain it from the marketplaces, which were established as part of the Affordable Care Act. In fact, it's about 15 million of the 300 million with, with some form of insurance in this country. And so this is a possible problem politically when Mr. Trump, I believe, when Mr. Trump is... Um, making a, a pretty big deal out of this. He says the cost of Obamacare is out of control, plus it's not good health care. Well, I think most people would say, yeah, if you've got an idea of how to lower costs and improve the coverage, 
folks are on board, but the Democrats very effectively pounce on that. And, and they've already gone on to say, just in the last few days, that 40 million Americans would lose their health coverage if Mr. Trump wins. He basically, Nancy Pelosi says, the Affordable Care Act and all its transformational benefits will be on the ballot. And that is effective messaging. There's no doubt. Like it or not, that just is. Biden told donors on Tuesday, a couple of days ago, if Trump gets his way, it's all gone. (laughs) Democrats have run successfully in 18 and in 20 on protecting the Affordable Care Act. And the other thing that makes it a a little challenging as well is that Trump always says we're always going to protect pre-existing conditions. Well, that is a key feature of Obamacare that did not exist before then. And by the way, it only applies to the individual market. Such protections have existed in the group market where 180 million people get their coverage from their employer. I suspect of those listening right now, watching the vast majority of them get their coverage through their employer. Well, it was in 1996 when the law was changed, which essentially prohibited employers from, um, or insurers, I should say, that provided coverage through employers, group coverage, denying employees that work for them for pre-existing conditions. And making them wait. There was always a, a long waiting period before you could get on your employer's coverage back then. None of that exists anymore. That was all changed with the, with the law that passed in 2010, the Affordable Care Act, so-called Obamacare. No doubt, though, that all these mandates and all these other provisions have caused a rise in the cost of health care and thus coverage what I think the Republicans could do best to push back on all the nonsense coming from the Democrats is educate voters about the various regulations, such as putting kind of a de facto cap on insurer profits through that medical loss ratio calculation, and these plans that are so rigid that you just don't have much of a choice. It's got to have all these minimum essential coverage requirements in every single plan, every single policy, or it can't be sold. And then the other benefit mandates as well. Uh, Give the states more flexibility in managing their Medicaid programs. I, I think all of that could go a long way in bringing costs down and improving and expanding competition, I think the Republicans could craft a narrative very effectively, but they just don't seem to. I don't hear that. Mr. Trump would be, I think, well advised to do so. I I get it. I'm with him. I want to bring costs down as well, and uh, but I, I think the way he's kind of framing it is not effective, and it just gives the Democrats ammunition to pounce on him and pounce on Republicans in general. Medicaid work requirements, the young and the healthy that are covered by Medicaid, and that's healthy, it would be 
through expansion, the able-bodied adult class, and then there are some other healthy Medicaid recipients, uh, such as uh, pregnant women, while they're covered under Medicaid. There should be work requirements. We can't seem to get that through the Congress. It's crazy. I, I think allowing the states, which have tried, by the way, and that's been struck down, to implement such policy, these are ways to bring the cost down and to just improve the overall health care landscape in the country. Uh, that's kind of what I'd like to see done. We'll see where all that goes. Um, Paula Meridian says, my daughter's a registered nurse in just about every hospital she has worked at. They won't let her get 40 hours in. I guess it could be overtime, though. Yeah, um, that's probably I mean, there's the certainly case. a portion of the population that has been negatively impacted by the work requirements. It's, it's de minimis overall, though. I mean, I, I'm shocked, honestly, Paul, that with the shortage of nurses that that has, has even been an issue. And, and I don't know that it's because of that, it, that, that they're doing that because they, they uh, don't want to provide health care or they're, they're, they're allowed based on the fact that they're not a full-time employee. Uh, they're not penalized if they don't provide affordable coverage. But the cutoff's um, what? Person. Fifty full-time employees. Fifty employees. Yeah. So there are a whole bunch of employers that that don't that have fewer than fifty employees. That that. But there's at least a percentage of the the business population that's right there on that line where they could save a whole lot of money if they stay under fifty. No doubt about it. And that's one of the the negative consequences of the law. I totally agree with that. Um, I, I don't honestly know that there should be any employer mandate. I, I, do, I, I believe that should be repealed. I, I think the market would take care of that, as I just discussed. Especially in a tight labor market today, the cost of health care coverage is such that that's a major part of decision-making for jobs. And when you're out there competing hard for jobs, uh, for employees, I should say, as an employer, that, that's a big draw. It's a huge draw. So I think that would take care of itself. I, I do think that that is something that should be repealed, just as the the uh, imp- the individual mandate was ultimately repealed. So there's about 30 million in the country that still don't have insurance. And uh, some because they don't want it, most because they can't afford it. Um, and, and so that's um, that was the attempt. That was the goal was universal coverage, which honestly is a is a noble goal. That that goal has merit. It's just how do you achieve it? If you achieve it through all these various mandates and, and uh, government dictates, usually that doesn't produce the the optimum outcome. I think that's pretty easy to say. Uh, we're taking a break right here on uh, Middays, coming right back with a final segment in Hour 2, and then Jim Leggett, lecturer of economics from Mississippi State at 12.05. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Oh, 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 oh. 
We are back in the Element Well studio. So a question came up uh, from Ben. It's completely ridiculous. We can't get work requirements passed. Seems like such such sensible policy move. Yeah, and so, Ben, just so you'll know, several states did request so-called waivers, Section 1115 waivers. Those are waivers available to states at their request to CMS, federal CMS, uh, to just modify, depart somewhat from uh, federal regulations in operation of their Medicaid program, because Medicaid is administered in accordance with federal law, for the most part, at the state level. And under the Trump administration, some states did receive the work requirement um, waivers, but the Biden administration has been busy uh, unraveling those, and the Supreme Court struck down some as well. So it's there. There's some that have been approved, about 13 states, but they're they're kind of watered down. Honestly, they're minimal, and really don't achieve the the full effect of a work requirement that would have some. Uh, meaningful and measurable impact on the overall Medicaid program. Let's see, Reese in Clarksdale says, the process of undoing some programs of previous administrations and implementing new programs by incoming administrations is the most costly thing government does, I think. That's a good point, Reese. I agree. Uh, Something else about the work requirements in Medicaid, when you think about the size and scope of Medicaid roles in Mississippi, it's 800,000. Just having the systems and the staff and the processes just to investigate and affirm uh, whether or not someone is satisfying the work requirement is a lot, is expensive. And and um, not 100% foolproof, honestly. I mean, you can imagine how complicated that gets. And also keep in mind that most of the people that are consuming uh, Medicaid dollars are the indigent elderly. I mean, they don't work at all. They're they're past their work age. And then you got blind and disabled. The other coverage group that is the most in terms of the number of people covered are children. 400,000 of the 800,000 in Mississippi are children in the Medicaid and CHIP program. And then you got the pregnant women. So it primarily applies to the coverage group that is included in Medicaid expansion. That's able-bodied adults with household incomes less than 133% of the federal poverty level and we don't have such a coverage group in Mississippi. That's because we haven't expanded Medicaid, so it really doesn't uh, apply per se. Let's see here. Um, but I agree with you, Ben, that you know that, that was attempted, just so you'll know, Ben, in the debt ceiling negotiations between McCarthy and um, Joe Biden, and couldn't get it through, specifically for Medicaid. Couldn't get it through. 
the um, also there were lots of conservatives back in 2017 when John McCain did the thumbs down on the skinny repeal. They were mad because it didn't repeal enough, and they voted for it very begrudgingly. Lots of reports on that have come out. Huh? What happened when it became taboo to mention that someone with a late model car with payments isn't poor but makes poor decisions in the nanny state? Can you give me some examples, Thomas? You bring that up all the time, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I do know this. To qualify for Medicaid, should the state expand into the new coverage group, your income cannot exceed $20,000 a year. We've talked about this before. You want to go buy coverage in the individual market, it's ten, twelve thousand bucks a year. That gives you eight thousand dollars a year to live off of. Now, that twelve thousand dollars, by the way, doesn't take into effect it's just the premiums. That doesn't count your out-of-pocket costs, which can be as high as I think this year eleven or twelve thousand bucks. So that's more than the person makes. Uh, show me a, a, a financial statement, Thomas, on how that would How would you operate a household on $20,000 a year and include in there $20,000 to have health care? Tell me how they, how they operate their household on that. I don't see how that person has anything, honestly. I'm, at, I'm just sharing the math. I'm not making a statement for or against. I'm just sharing the math. We're stepping aside for a break right now. Cream bumping us out of this segment. Jim Leggett, lecturer of economics at Mississippi State, is next. And now, now. the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's the afternoon portion of Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio on this Friday Eve. And we welcome to the program Jim Leggett, lecturer of economics at Mississippi State University. Hey, Jim, good to see you. Greetings, sir. How are you doing this fine day? I'm doing fantastic. So uh, the economy is uh, something that is always in focus, and it becomes even more so as we approach uh, big-time election year next year. That seems to be top of mind of voters in virtually every poll. Uh, They they place that at the top of their list, and uh, there are lots of conflicting reports. The president and his surrogates want the American people to believe that his policies, he's, he's his plans are improving their economic situation. And of course, his opponents uh, want to point out that they're worse off than they were before he he took office. Uh, I've honestly caught a little exaggeration on both sides. I think it's fair to say that's the business. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. That's the business. But uh, of uh, note today is we got the uh, arguably the Fed's favorite gauge of inflation. 
the PCE, the personal consumption expenses, it came in a reasonably good report. The, the investors uh, in the markets seem to like it because that kind of signals that maybe the, the Fed will stay put and even start to retreat uh, on interest rates. What's your take on all this and where we are today? Well, I think the way you kind of uh, you kind of you, you kind of frame this problem is there is the what the, the, each side wants to say you, you either stink or you're either great. But if you kind of do it, because uh, 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 that's the nature of the business. But yeah. you know, unemployment's about as low as it's ever been. Yeah. You know, with three eight three nine, uh, inflation is going in the right direction. It's not where it needs to be. But I think for whatever reason, there's just kind of a funk out there. I think um, interest rates uh, kicked a bunch of folks in the you know what, uh, yeah. you know, you know, housing market uh, is problematic with that because, you know, I take our community, people bu- built big houses and, and uh, or either have big houses that were affordable two years ago. Now, all of a sudden, they're, they're priced out, priced out. You know, yeah. so I'm glad I'm not a, uh, a builder <laughs> uh, speculating on luxury homes. Uh, <laughs> But I think that's kind of the price you pay for cheap money. I guess I'm channeling my inner Hayek here. <laughs> um, so, and, and so I think that funk is almost overtaking the logic because if you knew nothing about anything and said we had 5% growth and 3.9% unemployment and inflation going the right direction, uh, uh, the election be over. But but there's that funk out there for whatever reason. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and, those, and all those wars certainly don't help you know but the markets i think as you pointed out the markets seem to like the news and i think uh just looked up at the break the fed meets uh the 12th and the 13th uh i had to bet but i'm not going to bet is they'll hold 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 where they are because i don't think you've gotten inflation where you want it to be they want to i'm a purist it says it should be zero but you know so we'll see but you know okay yeah. And the Fed target, no, just because I'm a Pierce. <laughs> I got you. Well, the Fed target, as you know, is is two percent. That's uh, what yeah. they refer to as uh, price stability, right? One one of their yeah. mandates, uh, price stability mm-hmm. and and uh, optimum employment. employment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and and in general, uh, back in my days of studying economics, Jim, it was four percent was always kind of thought to be the so-called natural rate of unemployment, and we're actually yeah. below that. We got, we still got, and we have have been for a while. Yeah, have a robust jobs market, and normally from a political perspective, that's good for uh, an incumbent, whomever is in office at the time, because that's the first thing people look at. Do I have a job? But I think the fact that that jobs have been plentiful and the job market has has been in a scenario where demand exceeds supply for so long, that seems to have kind of fallen off. People are accustomed to having work and knowing they can get work. What's more in focus yeah. is what they're paying at the pump, what they're paying at the grocery store, and what their overall household finances look like. Yeah, I think you know probably what uh, didn't fit in that, uh, you know, interest rates, particularly if you're carrying a balance with a uh, adjustable rate, be it a credit card or mortgage, that's a kick in the butt. Or if you're in a nice house and you want to move up but you can't afford to. Yeah. And then that thing if getting the dynamics of the real estate market is well, I can't afford to sell move up to the next level. 
which means the folk, younger folks can't afford to get into the market. So that I think that funk is kind, kind of there. I think folks are feeling stung, for lack of a better word, about the inflation of a year and a half, two years ago. Remember, it was 9.6 for a while. And maybe you and I talked about it. We didn't really like that. And remember, we didn't <laughs> like the late 70s and really didn't want to do that part. And maybe, and we'll see, maybe the thread, I mean the thread, the Fed has uh, threaded the needle and achieved that soft landing or, you know, where yeah. you had didn't, you broke the back of inflation but hadn't uh, didn't kill the patient in the process. And uh, maybe uh, uh, Chairman Powell's uh, channeling his inner Paul Volcker because uh, he, he had basically had to kill or certainly wound the economy to get it there. But, but if you look at, the, say, from 84 on forward, you know, that was a pretty miraculous uh, period of economic growth. Uh, and you probably remember the uh, Morning in America commercials and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, and it propelled yeah. Reagan into office. Uh, that specifically, I would argue, did. Uh, the, the Carter administration just mishandled the economy, and inflation got out of control. Interest rates got up in the uh, 18, 19 percent, as I recall, and mortgages Nobody paid that for a mortgage. You you bought what were called assumptions, as I recall, uh, back then, yeah. Yeah, where you could just assume an existing mortgage. Um, a housing, that big news out of the National Association of Realtors this morning, that the pending home sales index is, I think, the lowest since these records uh, have been established and maintained, and that's 2001, so the lowest in 22 years. A lot of that's just because there's no inventory. As you said, there's no turnover. Yeah, no turnover. In fact, in full disclosure, my wife's a real estate broker here in Starkwell, so she understands all that sort of stuff. And I've learned far more about how all that stuff works, <laughs> but the inventory issue was one, you know, one of those things. And now they kind of have inventory, but it's not turning like it, they want it to start will probably be kind of a unique beast yeah. in the sense that you, you have the university and folks buy uh, condos for their kids uh, because it's a better deal as well as uh, they like football games and some folks rather have their, their playhouse in Starkville than the beach. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what's your crystal ball saying? Where do you see uh, the economy going uh, next year? I mean, this year's virtually done one more month. Uh, you think the Fed yeah. starts to reverse? Do you think you, you saw the GDP reading revised was incredible, over five percent? Yeah. What do you see next year? Yeah, because well, you because I remember when uh, one of the things Trump wanted to achieve, he wanted to achieve three percent, never could get there. Yeah, uh, one quarter. I think. I think. Yeah, and then that little thing called a pandemic came along, and <laughs> it all went to heck. Yeah, that's uh, right. But I think what's going to probably happen is I'm reasonably optimistic. We'll continue to unwind the effects of the the uh, what you call it the uh, all the all the stimulus that was too much of a good thing. Yeah, I think, and if, if they do, at some point the Fed will uh, loosen up a little bit. I would not anticipate a lot. Now, what's kind of curious? I have a graph for thirty years worth of the federal funds rates uh, I use in class. Yeah, we are at kind of the thirty-year average now. Okay, but we've been. But our view has kind of been tainted, or is tainted the right word, yeah. that we had abnormally low rates for two to three years, and that distorts kind of everything. Yeah, that's absolutely right, and that's, and that's recent. That's sort of that's recent memory. Yeah. So looking at, uh, you know, 5% Fed funds rate, 
seems awfully high, but as you point out, it's it's somewhat in the middle over uh, an extended period of time. It's just high relative to what it was for the two or three years leading up to this very compressed period of rate hikes. Yeah, and and maybe maybe the the uh, I guess people will write these studies. Maybe one of my colleagues would do it. Is and maybe this kind of ratcheting it up did the job. Yeah, you know, quarter percent as opposed to two percent where people freak. You know, I think one and maybe Milton Friedman was right about a lot of things. I think, uh, but argues that stable and predictable rules are kind of the way to go do that. You know, <laughs> absolutely. You know, you bake in bake in it's going to be a quarter percent till we solve this problem people kind of believe it well you just wake up one day oh congratulations federal funds rate went up a percentage point that that's probably induces chaos no doubt about it faith confidence and certainty that's the name of the game jim always good to talk to you appreciate you coming on we'll be talking soon i'm sure thanks a lot i'm counting on it and you got if i don't speak to you have a good holiday sir you too jim appreciate it man we're coming right back folks Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. back, everyone. We are in the Element Well studio. It is middays. The markets uh, have trended downward a bit. The Dow down, uh, it's up, but it's down off its highs. It's up 274. The NASDAQ in a different direction. Not sure what's going on there. It must be some news rattling some of the big issues on the NASDAQ. It's down 162. So a mixed market. That's what we have today. Can you get a supplemental insurance policy for other medical, yeah, for out-of-pocket expenses? This is James in Oxford. Thank you both for what you do for Mississippian Super Talk. Appreciate that, James. Thank you, and thanks for tuning in. Uh, there are supplemental policies that one can obtain. I would say they're not widespread. I mean, that, most people don't have that, just sort of take their risk. And I think a lot of that's because the, the uh, standard coverage is so dang expensive. The idea of adding supplemental coverage to cover the out-of-pocket in case you need it. Yeah, unless you're using your insurance at a point where your insurance is looking at how do we get rid of this person you're probably going to wind up spending more on the supplemental than it would actually save. I think that's true. Uh, you'd have to do the math on that. So, I mean, there. If there not, are, you would see it more prevalent. There are some plans that'll just help you out with uh, copays, for example. Right. Um, I haven't seen those used too much for covering deductibles and then coinsurance, which are all different. Uh, but that's all of that's in the category of out of pocket, meaning that's not 
covered by your insurance. And uh, the there are limits on that. And so just so you'll know, before the Affordable Care Act was passed, you could buy policies uh, that did not limit your out-of-pocket costs, or I should say, that weren't mandated by government to limit it. So if you wanted to buy a policy that had a high, a very high deductible, um, then you could. Well, when the Affordable Care Act was passed, it limits limits out-of-pocket expenses, and those have escalated steadily. I think there is some inflation connection there since the law went into effect in 2010, uh, and then it's of course it's it's a one figure for individual coverage, and then it's uh, twice that roughly for the um, uh, coverage for a family. So let's see what it is this year maximum out of pocket for 2023. Okay, I said ten thousand bucks. It's nine thousand four hundred fifty. So I was pretty close for an individual eighteen thousand nine hundred exactly double for. A family that's in 2023, um, and so that's that's how that works. Now, let's be honest: most people in this country, unfortunately, couldn't afford nine thousand four hundred fifty dollars out of pocket. It bankrupt them, and I'm saying that because lots of studies that have shown most people don't have five hundred bucks saved up, even for so-called rainy day. But that's um, and and this has traditionally been the cause of medical bankruptcies, and in fact, medical expenses are the chief cause of bankruptcy uh, in the country. So there are a couple of things. One is in 2010 when the law went into effect, it limited. I want to say back then it was like six thousand uh, bucks for an individual, twelve thousand for family coverage, group coverage. Um, it, the law comes out and says, hey, insurance companies, you can't sell policies that have higher out-of-pockets than this federal threshold. Before that, you could, you could uh, drive down the cost of your premiums by taking out policies that had much higher out-of-pocket. It just basically meant, hey, the insurance company is not going to pay out as much on your behalf, not going to cover as much. You're going to have to pay that through the out-of-pocket model. There's another key provision in the original Affordable Care Act, still in place today, and it's called uh, the limitation on annual coverage and lifetime coverage. Before the Affordable Care Act, you could buy policies that capped out. After we pay so much in this year, we're done. You got it from there. Well, that produces lower premiums. That usually is accompanied by lower premiums because they got less risk. And the same of uh, policies that would have a lifetime limit on them. Once we've paid this much, you got it from there. Well, those would be cheaper policies, uh, but considerably riskier for the subscriber. Well, the government said you can't do that anymore. You, you can't put caps. Well, all of that is why we're paying more. All that sounds great, except the insurance companies say, well, okay, we got more risk here. We have to pay more out. We got to take more in. Wait, so you're telling me more government intervention and regulation didn't equal utopia? <laughs> Shocking. This is what Republicans ought to be 
focused on, in my view. If I want to buy a policy and I accept that responsibility, then I should be able to do that if somebody will sell it to me. Okay, Mr. Gibbert, we'll sell you a policy that has a cap on how much we pay in a year. You got it from there. Here's this price. You want no cap, like the government says you got to do today? Here's this price. It's the, it's the base price times some factor, I can assure you, because they have more risk. The, those are the provisions plus the minimum essential coverage, the other feature, which has all these requirements that say you got to cover stuff even if you're never going to need it. I don't like know. Like my insurance covering prenatal vitamins. Correct. For me, I have individual coverage. I will never, in the entirety of my life, need prenatal vitamins. Absolutely true. That's an example. Um, drug rehab is another. Not mandated at the federal level, but there are a lot of states, because the insurance is regulated at the state level, outside of what the Fed requires. They still have to be in compliance with Fed law. That require, I know New Jersey's one. I think it's, if I, last time I checked, the highest health insurance in the country is in New Jersey. And I want to say individual coverage is like 18, 20 grand a year. It's, it's insane. You can probably look it up and see it. But, um, but nonetheless, a lot of that's because the state of New Jersey requires things like drug rehab. Whether you use drugs or are ever going to need drug rehab or not, you're going to pay for it and, um, and, and contribute to the pool, if you will, uh, so that folks that go get drug rehab can have it covered by their their insurance. So those are all – another one, here's another one, Rhino, is um, what's called community rating. And all that really means is that prior to Obamacare, insurers could charge more for an older, sick person or a person that had a poor lifestyle than they could – even a female, because females just naturally – based on actuarial analysis and uh, have um, usually consume more health care, mainly because they can get pregnant and have a child, but they got more anatomy that takes more to take care of. And so what the law did is it limited the ratio. It, before that, there was no limit. Insurers could say, oh, okay, even, even within like a group, you go to a company and they look at your demographics and say, okay, well, based on your demographics, your age and your females and all this other stuff, here's your price. Well, the law says, no, you can't charge too much more, I think it's three to one, as I recall, for an older, sicker, uh, more risk, higher risk population than you can a young, healthy, low risk population. Well, that means everybody's policies went up. That, that's Those are the things that drove the cost of health care up. All sounds kind of... But if you like your doctor, you can keep him. Yeah, and the reason you couldn't, by the way, is because what, what that referred to is when they created these exchanges and all this minimum coverage and all that stuff, so many insurers in this country say, we're out, we're not playing, in the individual market, and that's where... Those people who had coverage before got a note that said, a notification said, by the way, we're dropping you. And you had to go scramble and find a new carrier, which had a different network, and now you got to go find a new doctor. Yeah, that was a complete farce and a, honestly just a lie that I think they knew, 
before they, I know that's shocking, before they passed the law. I'm talking about in 2010, the Obama administration, but they dang sure did it anyhow. No. <laughs> Not saying Obama. He wouldn't lie. Well, re- remember, who was it? Um, one of the architects of that deal, was he the guy that was the mayor of Chicago? Remember, he said we were counting on the American people to be stupid and not understand that? I'm trying to think of his name, but uh, that did co- finally come out after the law was passed. I mean, that mentality is applicable to any politician with a D by their name. <laughs> we're stepping aside They're for They're relying a on your stupidity to vote for them. That is true. He did say that. Yeah, we just felt like they didn't understand all this stuff, and they're true, but that is despicable, it's insidious to take advantage of people like that, it's abusive um, simply because maybe they don't know as much about something as you do, why don't you educate them and not just ram it through coming right back bring it on Middays with Gerard Gibbert it is on on Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well studio. So on the C Spire text line, it wouldn't solve the entire problem, but a personal flexible savings account like uh, IRAs would be a help. Yeah, and those exist. You can absolutely invest in and sign up for an FSA, and you can use those uh, those dollars you put away there to cover your out-of-pocket expenses, your deductibles, co-pays, co-insurance. That, uh, that exists today. Um, I do think there should be expansion of that. Something else I've, I've always thought we should do is, you know, insurance premiums are pre-taxed. The employer contribution in the group market to your premiums are not considered income. They're, they are... Uh, pre-tax. So, uh, but in the individual market, and the same is with uh, your your contributions to your premiums as well. But in the individual market, that doesn't apply. It only applies. It's it's a disparity that's been around for a long time, and conservative think tanks have have um, have really highlighted this as something that needs to be adjusted to make the individual market, that is, you get your insurance outside of your employer equal in that respect from a tax treatment perspective as uh, it is handled in the group market. That's crazy to me. And the other risk with an FSA is if you don't use it, you lose it. That's right. So if you overcalculate and you've actually put a little bit too much into that, you are going to have to find creative ways to spend it before the end of the year, or you just gave Uncle Sam a donation. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Rahm Emanuel, Ray on the Coast. Well, I believe that uh, Rahm is, uh, was the advisor. It was actually is not Rahm. Rahm was the mayor. Now I get it. I remember. Rahm was the mayor of Chicago, I believe. I think I got that right. It was his brother, Ezekiel, that 
was mainly he and a guy named Jonathan Jonathan Gruber, I think was his name. I almost said Hans Gruber, but it was Jonathan Gruber. They were the architects of uh, the Affordable Care Act, and he's the one Ezekiel who back in like fourteen or fifteen, as I recall said that the administration exploited, I'm reading the quote now, exploited the stupidity of the American voter. He's the one who said that. I thought it was Jonathan Gruber. Maybe it was Gruber. My bad. Um, That's right. It was Gruber. So I had it right the first time. Ezekiel Emanuel was involved in the architecture of the the deal, but um, it was Ezekiel. I'm sorry. It was Jonathan Gruber. Jonathan Gruber. And it, it, there's a video that, that was went viral back in the 14-time period where Gruber said that. Unbelievable. Um, and that really, got, that really got folks pretty fired up. And, and Gruber was an economist. I mean, because this whole thing is it's a, it's an economic measure is what it is. It's a series of taxes, a series of credits. Um, and I should say subsidies. It's, it's debits and credits is the way I've often described the Affordable Care Act with some insurance reforms mixed in. But it, it originally included just a long list of new taxes, some of which have been repealed. Like there was a tax on insurance companies. There was a tax on medical device manufacturers. There was a tax on pharmaceutical companies. All those went by the wayside. They ultimately got repealed. The idea was, hey, we're going to send you all these new customers by forcing everybody to have insurance. Therefore, you're going to pay a fee to get these new customers to help pay for the subsidies and the expansion of Medicaid. That was the idea. And the tax on higher incomes, the uh, net investment income tax, the other one was the so-called Cadillac tax. And that got repealed. And you know who that would mainly apply to? Unions. Because they're the ones that had the Cadillac health plans that they, through the years, had negotiated with their employers. So, yeah, but it was Gruber. You're right. Um, Ezekiel Emanuel, um, I think, also had a, a bit of uh, a similar comment, but not quite that direct, just about, oh, yeah, people don't really understand this stuff, therefore we can run that through. Interesting stuff. Yeah, health savings accounts, that's another option as well, as opposed to a flexible. The flexible allow you to use it for other purposes like child care, for example. Uh, but and, and those are all good ideas. I think they should be expanded and increased. Um, but there, there's some tax ramifications there that are objectionable. Bottom line is this thing's going to come up again because Trump's putting it out in the public square with his comments over the weekend that we got to repeal it and replace it. And the Democrats will very effectively go out and as we've said, and promote that is, he wants to take your health care away from you. And Republicans need to have a narrative. They need to have a message to explain. And I wish Mr. Pump, Mr. Trump, <laughs> Pump, I hope Mr. Trump um, comes up with more detail, more color, as they say, on what exactly is he talking about. I'm all for it. If he can make the cost go down and improve the quality, I, I'm down for that. But we need some specifics on how he intends to achieve that. Uh, let's see. Would you support... Uh, Thomas, I really don't understand your suggestion here. You're going to have to 
explain it to me, legislation that allowed any and all government assistance that an individual receives to be redirected health care providers until the debt is paid full. I'm not sure what you're saying, man. I think what he's saying is if you go to the ER and you have no intent on paying for it, oh. and you also receive food stamps or Medicaid coverage or something like that, that legislation could be drafted to take from your food stamps to pay for your medical bill. Okay, so um, so you starve and end up in the ER again, I guess. But well, if you got Medicaid, you, you that's the least the hospitals getting some reimbursement for your ER visit and whatever services are provided. And with respect to uh, food stamps, and honestly, that's a teeny tiny amount of money relative, as you well know, to an ER visit. Uh, it's just nothing compared to that. So I, I I need to see more of the math and the details. I, I don't know that um, shifting money around like that makes makes any financial sense. I'd have to, have to kind of think through that. Ricky in Aberdeen says, yeah, the, he's right. The, health, the HSAs, the health savings accounts, they do roll over from year to year, and, and they are pre-taxed. They're just a – I don't know what the limits are on those are. As I recall, Ricky, they're – they're um, relatively low to what out-of-pocket costs could be, uh, but there, it's just an additional deduction out of your paycheck, and, and a lot of people just can't can't swing that, you know, can't afford that. And and again, those really aren't the problematic people. I mean, the folks that are typically bankrupted because they they uh, are are saddled with patient responsibility for medical care. Um, those are the ones that generally can't afford to contribute to a health savings account. Uh, the, the folks that can, they're not the ones that are having problems taking care of their patient responsibility obligation. It's also been my experience that providers, they're pretty good about working out plans with you. If you, if you have a patient responsibility and you're unable to, to take care of that in the uh, – typically the 30-day time period or 45 days from receipt of that bill from the provider, hospital, clinic, doctor, what have you. Uh, I know, folks, if you call them and say, look, I need a little help, I'm going to pay you, but it's going to be over six months, they're pretty good about that sort of stuff. In fact, their systems even support it. Now, they'll send you something to kind of sign off on, and they'll adjust their electronic billing systems to account for that. Um, they, they'd rather get paid, even if it takes you a little while, than just zero. So uh, I'm not sure if folks know that or not, that you can call. But I, I've seen, like, notes on these bills. If you have problems paying for this, give us a call and something to that effect, an invitation, I guess, to explore. Well, it's not every debt, but just about every debt, you can negotiate repayment. No doubt. You it may have like it may have a negative impact on your credit, or it may have a negative impact on future services from that company. But the company wants to get paid, even if it's on a prolonged time frame, because that's still better than having to pay a collection company to try to get anything. No doubt about it. Um, and my experience also, Rhino, is that the the healthcare providers, if you commit to the payment. And, and you're pretty good about staying on track on that. Those installments, they won't turn you over to collections, and therefore it doesn't hit your credit report. So they'll keep that off your credit report. But 
Not sure how many people know that, but uh, again, they want to get paid, even if it takes a little longer to get paid. That's better than writing the whole dang thing off. We're stepping aside for a break on middays. The final segment today is next. We got uh, something here from Chase from Columbus we'll get to concerning this subject. Stay with us. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. We're back in the Element Wealth Studio. Final segment today. Uh, hey. Like the money talk, state HSAs, health savings accounts, or use it or lose it, the federal ones roll over. <laughs> Didn't know that. Appreciate that information. It's another investment instrument. I was pleased when the state employee plan finally committed to the minimum $1,500 required deductible every silver lining. That's also one of the reasons the premiums uh, go up as well. So, I mean, it's it, it all kind of works out that way. It's all connected uh, I've had doctor offices send me to a collection agency for 14 bucks. Those business managers are brutal. Yeah, and you know, a lot of that stuff nowadays is totally automated. I mean, once you set triggers and when you configure the systems, the software, uh, which is all cloud-based, and once it hits a certain threshold, certain age, boom, it automatically, electronically gets transmitted to their um, collection agency that they have on contract. I got hit for $3.13 at the dentist. I got a, I got a, th- I know, I got a three dollar one. This was back in the nineties, and you won't believe this. I was, I was buying a car, and I was working with a finance manager, and I, it was nineteen ninety two. I can remember. I was buying an Acura right around the corner here, the Acura dealership, and uh, the finance manager came up and said, "We, we can't get your, your credit approved. This is before we had access to your credit reports like you do today. What's wrong? You have a collection on it." It pretty much, if you have a collection, you're not getting a, a loan. A collection? I don't know anything about it. Yeah, here it is. He handed it to me. It was $3 from a, a, a medical service. Like, I don't have any reason not to pay 3 bucks. And the systems weren't nearly as good about telling you, hey, you owe us 3 bucks. I'd have surely sent you that. Uh, but it's it's completely electronic and automated. Um, so that they don't touch it. But I hear you. Sometimes it does seem a bit ridiculous. Seems like you could set some thresholds as well on the outstanding amount, which you probably can nowadays, but they may not have that set up. Uh, so Rhino sent me a bit of fodder. <laughs> it uh, involves Red Lobster. Yeah, their parent company, Thai Union Group, who I believe invested them in them. What year was that? I think it's at the bottom. Yeah, 2016, they invested in Red Lobster and then... Uh, combined with Golden Gate Capital to buy out Red Lobster in 2020. They've announced unexpectedly large losses in their third quarter because of their $20 shrimp promotion. The (laughs) unlimited endless shrimp was too good of a deal. It was too popular and not profitable enough. So they eventually had to raise the rate from $20 for the unlimited endless shrimp to $22, and now it's $25. But because they were selling too much of the uh, unlimited endless shrimp, they had big losses in the third quarter. 
Quit eating all them shrimp. <laughs> and I mentioned to you in the break, like, how do you go into the board meeting that day with a straight face and look at all these stern dudes at the table with their suits on? Well, uh, we sold too many shrimp. So we had really bad losses for Q3. Oh, man. We had an overabundance of shrimp customers. It's so good. You know, I bet the late, great J.T. Williamson would love that story, wouldn't he? That is so awesome. That is great. Uh, Paula Meridian says, I'm self-employed and don't have health insurance. My wife needed gallbladder surgery in the hospital. Let us make payments and also found some financial aid for us. Yeah, and that's that's right, Paul. I appreciate you sending that in, and that's the point we were making. Uh, health care providers just they want to get something they want to work out something and they're 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 pretty pretty liberal I would say and just working out payment plans it's when they get nothing is what hurts them if it means it's going to take you a while they'll you know even negotiate the price honestly I've seen that happen before I know providers that are willing to do that to to help others but it's the nothing that kills them and it's people that intentionally pay nothing, uh, that, and they stiff them. And I, I'm hearing more reports nationally about folks not paying their patient responsibility. They have commercial coverage, and the insurance company's paying their part, but consumers are stiffing uh, the provider and not paying the patient responsibility. Which comes back to what Chase from Columbus texted in on the ceasefire text line. He said, young people especially have categorically decided they aren't paying medical bills, credit card bills, or student loans anymore. They don't care about the credit scores. They don't care about debt. They've just self-instituted that health care is free. That's ridiculous. And they're hearing that, of course, from the left in this country. It's a right! I mean, you've been hearing them just pound the table on that for so long, and it's, and it's not. You don't have a right to someone else's labor. That's what health care is. It's someone else's labor. Speaking of health care, before we get out of here, I wanted to pass this on. A big uh, health care provider, Ardent Health Services, got hit with a huge uh, ransomware attack. You know, we've been talking about this and warning, and they have a number of hospitals, I believe, up in the Northeast down, totally down for a while, uh, and they had to uh, go into some... Uh, backup plan to keep operating, but man, suspended all access to its IT application, even their corporate servers, uh, for this period of time until they freaking paid the ransom. We're out of here today. We thank you so much for joining us. Back with you again tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.